Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Heads up, everyone. In case you missed it, a couple weeks ago, I rolled out a new feature on Unconfirmed, a weekly news recap. This summer, through my survey, you listeners said you'd be interested in a weekly news recap on the show. So now you can listen to my take on the top stories of the week after my guest interview at the end of every Unconfirmed. Go subscribe now to find out what I think are the biggest stories in crypto each week. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost with no fees or markups. Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Want more? Download the Crypto.com app today. Kraken is the best exchange in the world for buying and selling digital assets. It has the tightest security, deep liquidity, and a great fee structure with no minimum or hidden fees. Whether you're looking for a simple fiat on-ramp or futures trading, Kraken is the place for you. The topic for today's show is DAOs. Here with me in Osaka, Japan at DEVCON to discuss are Mario Nakanti, Head of Smart Contracts at MakerDAO, and Peter Pan, Summoner of MetaCartel. Welcome, Mariono and Peter. Hi. Happy to be here. Let's start with introductions. Why don't you each talk about what you do in this space? Mariono, why don't we start with you? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm the head of smart contracts at uh, MakerDAO. I've been at the foundation for three years now. And um, I'm in charge of making sure that uh, the Maker platform smart contracts work correctly. So lately, uh, it's mostly been taking care of audits and formal verification ahead of uh, multi-collateral die. Great. And Peter? Oh, actually, you know what I wanted also to ask you? Can you just describe sellout DAO? Because that was something fun that you did that's related to our topic. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a hobby of mine. So I'm, I am also a member of uh, Moloch DAO. And uh, at a hackathon, I decided it would be fun to try to do on-chain corruption. Uh, and this involved uh, sellout DAO, which is just a smart contract that... Uh, I can I can use as my delegate key in Moloch, so anybody can use my vote, uh, my voting power to uh, create proposals and vote on them uh, on the Moloch DAO, and it actually works on any Moloch-like uh, DAO. Wow, interesting. So we'll dive a little bit more into that later. So Peter, what, why don't you tell us about MetaCartel, and and I think it's separate MetaCartel DAO, maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Right. So uh, hi, uh, I'm Peter, and I, I guess I'm. One of the people uh, running the MetaCartel community, right? And the MetaCartel is, I guess, is uh, a community around focused around DAP experimentation and DAP development, right? And uh, currently, one of the projects that we've been working on for the last like half year, right, is this, uh, is our MetaCartel DAO, right? So the MetaCartel DAO is the community's DAO 
at least the metacultural communities DAO that's focused on funding, right, uh, DAP experimentation, specifically new business models and new use cases. Great. And can you give us a little bit of a of the backstory about how you started that? Because I think it started with you being rejected from Moloch DAO, right? Right. So, uh, yes. So the metacultural DAO um, was kind of like uh, both from this, uh, this, I guess, this the path to redeem, redeeming myself, right? So while while the Metacartel community has uh, have kind of like existed for a while now, like ever since it, it was created, like around last September, nearly a year ago, right? Or it's now, uh, yeah, nearly created a year ago. But like uh, during like April, I believe this year, uh, Molotov was really taking off, and I really wanted to be part of that governance experiment, right? Um, except and you know well. Amin picked me to kind of like join it because I was doing a lot of stuff around dApps, right? And they wanted a new perspective within Molokdao. Except, you know, I don't have that much money, so I've pledged 10 ETH as opposed to the standard 100 ETH, right? And, you know, uh, I didn't have a lot of friends in Moloch, so I was rejected. Uh, and basically... Can it, I say something publicly? I voted against Peter. Oh, really? <laughs> that first time, yes. Wait. Oh, oh. Wow. Why? Um, it was mostly a social contract. Like Peter said, the initial members uh, mostly pledged uh, 100 ETH. And some of us said that we, just by principle, wouldn't let anybody with uh, less than 100 for the first few months. Um, so this is all public on the blockchain. You can yeah. see um, I would vote down for the first couple of months people uh, joining with 50 and 10 uh, but I think something good came out of it. So <laughs> this is this is my penance. Sorry. No. You know, well, wait. I, <laughs> so are you saying that you would accept him now? I no. Um, the second time around, the, well, you tell the story. <laughs> right. So I mean, accept your apology, Mariano. Uh, it was all good. I understand what what it came from. But yeah. So interestingly, you know. So I'll get to how I got in later on. Even though that was very contentious by itself. But you know. So. Uh, I was rejected, and I was like, you know what? Why don't we create our own DAO? So, the, for more context, for the last couple of months, like before April, right, uh, the Medicartel DAO uh, kind of finished up a lot of the, its work around meta transactions, right? Uh, basically, it's a UX, I guess, solution that allows you to abstract gas fees, right, from the user experience. And as we finished up this work, we were looking for new things to kind of work on. Like, we have a great community, we have a funny meme, or dancing chili, what should we work on? And it was like, why? And we realized no one was building dApps, right? It wasn't a topic or head, headline title in the space, right? Everyone's still focused on the infrastructure and being working close to the infrastructure layer, right? We realized that we should be getting people to build dApps. And we were like, okay, let's create a dApp incubator or let's create a pot of money to fund dApps, right? And the, as I was rejected, you know, this was like a perfect, like, <laughs> I guess, like, uh, fun little, like, um, I guess stunt to kind of get back at it. It started off as a meme, right? But then people were like, "Hey, sure, I'll put Ethan in the pot," and I'm like, "Oh, really? <laughs> cool, yeah." Um, and uh, I am also a member of uh, a few other DAOs, including Moloch. Um, and you know, so how I got into Moloch, right? Was uh, I was working on this other DAO of a meme, right? And James Young and a few other people, Ken Yang and Darren Mills, right? On like this thing called uh, Yang Dao, right? So um, basically one day I was thrown into a chat with, uh, by me and, and like, uh, it was just like this thing called Yang Dao. I'm like, what the hell is Yang Dao? 
Um, and then like it was like, oh, let's like create a DAO to push Andrew Yang, right? And then like apparently that became a thing, <laughs> um, and worked on that. And uh, I guess like some I mean kind of like push for a funding proposal to fund the work of Yang DAO, right? And I was part of that. So and even then that was the most content. It was very contentious by itself, and even how the votes came. Kind of like fell through. It was also contentious, but yeah. Wait, why? Well, um, because if I remember correctly, a lot of us voted no on Yang Dao, but this was Yang Dao proper, Moloch funding Yang Dao, not Peter specifically. Uh, and then I mean, since he had his votes and he had got, he had I believe 500 shares uh, of uh, Spang Chain voting, aside from. Uh, his own, he swung the vote um, in his favor. And I actually considered race winning then because I thought that Yang Dao, it was too US-centric, too uh, political. But I, I came around after watching the memes. I, <laughs> I believe everything uh, is better with memes and it's a way that people can, can communicate and understand. And in the end, I accepted it. Yeah, well, that was actually my very first thought. Like, you're Argentine and Peter's Australian. So, like, I was like, why would you guys care about doing the Yang Dao? But now you're saying that you're glad that you guys did that? I I am from Argentina, but I do follow U.S. politics quite a bit. Because anything that happens in the U.S. Um, creates ripples. And in places like third world countries like Argentina, we feel... Anything that happens in the U.S. or Europe, we feel it bad. So if you get a cold, we get pneumonia. And I was following the elections, and I realized that uh, this was actually a good way to, to proceed. That's interesting. It's also interesting to me because I feel like Andrew Yang has a much more domestic-focused platform, but now we're like getting really far afield. <laughs> oh, but uh, oh, so just to go back, I wanted to ask about MetaCartel. Like, how much money now do you have in it, and like? What are the requirements for people to participate? Right. So I guess like uh, we recently dipped back under a thousand ETH because we keep spending our ETH, right? Oh, cool. Um, but you know we hover up around a thousand to nine hundred ETH nowadays, right? Uh, and the requirements is really like you know so you can actually join the DAO for two means. You can either pledge uh, funds, and the minimum is like ten ETH right now, right? Which is about two to three thousand dollars USD, and like you can also join the DAO by providing work that we want to get done in space, right? And it's really like, you know, we see work and uh, I guess like pledge funds as just like minimum barrier, right, to filter people through. And it's really about, we just want to actually get the grid. I guess like what we really care about is getting the right people in versus like how much they like bring monetarily, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, depending on the demographic, like for some people, $2,000 is a lot yep. for like a hobby type thing. Mm. But if they can work their way into it, Correct. then that's, yeah. But then is there like a max? Because like, otherwise, are you guys, you know, then subject to like people just sort of dominating the, yeah. Yeah, we do have a max as in like, you know, whenever there's a new member that wants to join, right? Um, you know, there's a social max of like 100 ETH at the moment, right? Um, but, you know, uh, whenever a new proposal comes, we all discuss it as a DAO, right? So whether we're comfortable with them joining firstly and them comfortable joining with that many shares or that much power. Um, yeah, there's some cases where we've actually not let certain people come in, uh, you know, with as much. Okay. Interestingly enough. 
Well, so before we go on, I actually also want to go go back to sellout DAO. So, like, yeah. what was the rea- reaction from the other Moloch DAO members to that? Like, do they like it or do they dislike it? Do they feel like you're, like, hijacking the process? Do they, like, agree that it is on-chain corruption or...? Internally, uh, a lot of people did like it. And as you can see, it it is not very powerful yet. Um Somebody can hijack my account and vote with my 100 shares. That's about it. So even though we do have some kind of voter apathy, if somebody puts a proposal through, it's very easy to get shut down. It, it only needs uh, two other members maybe to, to vote it down. So as a social experiment, it was really, really amazing. Um, pretty much everybody liked it, and it gave way for other types of discussions like do we need shielded transactions, um, anonymity? A lot of people do want to vote yes or no to proposals, but they don't want to make it be public, uh, make it known mm-hmm. what they voted on. So no, I think it was a, a really good experiment. And when I wanted to join MetaCartel, uh, this was after Saladao, I got a little bit of a pushback um, because they said, are you going to try to corrupt this one as well? That's funny. Yeah. And so... Then did they let you join? Uh, yes, I believe one member voted no to my proposal, but uh, was it Peter? No, I, I wanted Mariana to join. I welcomed them in. <laughs> um, I think so. The member that uh, Ray, I, I guess, like uh, raised a concern against his crimes, right, uh, with Moloch Dow was you know Makoto, the uh, oh. yeah Ma- Makoto of, um, from um, uh, Weird Kickback and the uh, ENS. Yeah, but and then, he does he does another DAO. Archie. Orochi. Yeah. Right, so right. I joined that one as well. Yeah, what does that one do? It's an uh, events DAO. It was made specifically for DevCon um, oh. as a way to uh, fund and sponsor events. And it may go on after DevCon. Uh, we're still not sure. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, wait. So I just want to make sure I understand Sellout DAO again. So like mm-hmm. at any given moment like when when is it that somebody can take your um uh, right right now the way the the way i wrote it because uh, this was just during a weekend it only works one time so uh when i did it a couple of months ago um at ETH berlin uh, i managed to sell my vote once and the member who bought it uh santi city from democracy earth yeah. he uh, ended up getting voted in because people love the experiment. Oh, cool. And this second time, I activated it again just for one other uh, bribe, let's call it. And I was giving a presentation on sellout, and the first slide had a QR code saying whoever sends one Ether uh, will be the briber. And before I turned to the second slide, somebody shouted uh, from the audience, sold. Oh, wow. So somebody sent one Ether in like 30 seconds to an unknown smart contract. And do you know who it was? I think I do know, but this person has not actually used it. They're reselling this bribe OTC. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Okay. So I guess you, in a way, almost have anonymous transactions. It is is a way uh, to kind of do that, yeah. And I think it was a a great continuation of the experiment. I thought whoever's... uh, uh, Santa Eve would just come to me and say, hey, I want this to happen. I want to try to uh, get some money for this proposal or want to join us a member. Uh, but no, they, they want to resell it. Well, but one thing is I 
guess I thought with like Malik Dow that part of the voting and stuff is like people sort of knowing who's proposing what or you know what I mean. And so like for did- a member to join, somebody has to sponsor them. So um, you cannot create a proposal. Not anybody can do it. Only existing members. Um, oh, oh, so wait for a sellout. They can only vote. They can't also propose uh, for a sellout. Yeah. If they do it via sellout, then they can create proposals uh, without my intervention. So they run through me as a proxy, let's say. Right. right. So did people kind of uh, dislike the fact that then they don't know who is behind any given proposal? They, no, not really, because um, it, it was still a controlled experiment. Uh, as I tell you, I only um, activated it twice. And for this second time, yeah, it is... Um, we don't know what's going to happen, what proposal is going to go through. And even if it is going to go through at all, because um, I give the limit of one week, and after one week, I will just uh, revert uh, to my original key and like, oh. shut down the sell out Oh, and why are you putting a time limit on it? Uh, because the way Moloch works, uh, sell out is a smart contract that acts as my delegate key. So as long as I have a delegate key, if it is sell out DAO, then I cannot do anything else on the system. I cannot vote uh, on anything. I cannot create my own proposals. Oh, I see. And if I want to keep participating, then I need to revert back to my uh, my original key. Oh, okay. So when Santi had it, what did he do with it? Um, he put himself up as a member. So he proposed himself as a member. Um, this was, he was probably gonna, I was going to propose him anyway, cause I think he was a, he's a good candidate for Moloch. But when he found out what I was doing, he said, no, no, uh, I, I want to go the, <laughs> the sellout DAO way. It's like, there's an Argentinian creating on-chain corruption and another Argentinian <laughs> actually using it. We thought it was uh, hilarious. Yeah, that is great. Um, I, I did a great episode with him and Glenn Weil. All right, so why don't we let, then? Why don't you just can you guys each describe how you handle the governance of well, so Meta Cartel we can talk about, um, but then also I was thinking maybe MakerDAO. So whoever wants to start, just like in general, describe the governance of your DAO. Right. So one of the interesting things is that while most people assume that you know because the governance, I guess the hard governance on chain, right aspect of the DAO of Metacarto DAO is distributed amongst, you know, uh, its members, uh, that governance is conducted in a distributed manner, if that makes sense, right? Like, you know, governance in Metacarto DAO is uh, done and conducted in a very soft manner, right? It's mostly soft governance, actually. And how do you define soft governance? I guess it's like, you know, before really any decisions are made on-chain membership proposals or funding proposals, it goes through, you know, um, the internal forum, right? our internal Discord um, chats, and we have weekly calls as well uh, around new proposals. And, you know, I guess there's like due diligence that's done, right? And we trusted people to conduct due diligence. And, you know, we basically, it's a l- it's actually heavily built on trust, <laughs> ironically, right? Um, and it seems that we can't get away from like, I guess, you know, human leadership as it, as it is, you know? I think that's something that we realize that, uh, we're going to actually further invest into, you know, like that social scalabil- scalability, if you will. And and what do you mean by that? I guess it's like, um, we're, Medicato Dow right now is bottlenecked quite a bit governance-wise because, you know, uh, we 
I guess it's like basically when you have one person doing a lot, that person tends to have a lot of information uh, asymmetry, right? And because of that, uh, you know, they basically, I guess, like if people trust asymmetry, right, and trust that person's, um, you know, know how, then it's it's fairly lopsided, and you know, you end up with just like people following one person, right? Uh, and that's quite inefficient, just simply due to like input output, right? Uh, or decisions that can be made, and you know, proposals that can be like processed, right? Like it's not delegated, so yeah, right. So then, what are you saying that now you need what more people or? So one of the things that we're looking to solve, uh, like I guess, solve the social scalability problem of like DAOs, right? And how we govern this DAO is by we're looking to we're at forty people right now, right? And soon it's going to be 60, Wait, you 80. said 40? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's 40 people right now, and soon there's going to be 60, 80, 100, and that's, like, you know, very unmanageable. So right. we're looking to actually set up working groups, right, and delegate trust and autonomy to each one, right? So there's likely going to be a working group that's going to basically be focused on technical due diligence, right? There's one that's going to be focused on outreach, one that's going to be fundraising, right? And we're starting to, and for example, right now, we're, start, we're spinning out our first... I guess, like, group called the Raid Guild within our DAO. The Raid Guild? Yes. Okay, what's that? Um, so the Raid Guild's really focused on, like, you know, uh, design and development of everything we need in DAO, right? And, you know, like, we've been funding work in turn- basically to service the DAO internally, right? But we just, we realize that even the teams who are running that need to scale <laughs> socially, right? Um, and so we're almost just starting to spin up working groups, and each one will likely have its own leader, Right. So I don't know if I totally follow, but it's like, if like one of the projects needs marketing or something, then there's like an in-house marketing. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Uh, there's likely going to be a shill DAO, right? Uh, where all the shillers go there. And okay. just like we have a guild, like a, yeah. So just like we have a raid guild, there's going to be a shill guild or DAO, et cetera, internally within it. Um, and we kind of think about Metacartel and the community and the DAO, not as like this... Uh, not as just like one organization. We think of it as a system, like a kingdom, if you will, right? We think of it as a kingdom where, you know, it creates economic value, but it doesn't optimize for just money, right? It optimizes for also our well-being. You know, it invests, you know, resources into culture, right? Um, You know, and we even have a visual map, (laughs) right, Uh, internally on a Figma board of like, you know, Metacarto as a kingdom. So we have a forgery where it kind of like maps out all the pieces of software that we have shipped, right, and exists out there. We have like a uh, alchemy lab where it's like ideas, <laughs> right? It's, it's almost like a visual CRM to map out the, I guess to map out the virtual reality of the Medicato kingdom, right? And it really helps you us frame like how we should think about things, right? And on this map, we have one city right now. Imagine you have different, like literal a map with like, Images representing buildings, right? Uh, and all the components of the DAO. From yeah. our uh, Discord chat to our forum to our DAO bank, right? It's all visually represented, right? By images of kingdoms and houses, town halls, right? And, like, we have a forge. It's literally a picture of a forge in the in part, a part of the city. And then, like, the logos of the software projects around it, right? In a fence. And, you know, we're actually, as we're spinning out uh, our working group, on visually on the map, which is actually quite big, on the other side of it, like maybe a few kilometers, if you will, <laughs> right, um, away from the city, we're likely going to set up visually the raid guild and that working group, right? 
Um, and that's like helping us frame a lot of how we think about how to socially scale it out. Huh. Okay. And when you say that, you mean the, like the dApps that you're funding? Yes. I mean like the dApps that we're funding and supporting, right? We almost see them as like, I guess, you know, another piece of the pie or the kingdom, right? Um, and they may start up very small, but they might have their own town and city eventually later on, right? Right. There's something about this that reminds me of like consensus, but like maybe with the incentives a little bit better aligned or something. We don't have a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I don't know if having a lot of money has worked out super well for some of the teams in consensus. So, all right. So why don't we then now talk about how governance is handled in MakerDAO? Yes. Um, so Maker is one of the oldest projects in Ethereum. So we've been doing governance for a while. And it is not unlike what Peter mentioned. Um, we now have a, reached a sort of cadence where everything starts at the forums. Um, we used to do it just uh, on our chat and on Reddit and on Twitter. But finally, we created a forum and everything starts there. And the community now... Even though we have, and this was also voted in, uh, we have an interim governance facilitator, which is somebody who works at the Maker Foundation, to organize all the weekly votes, because there are many um, and many more coming. The community is now organizing, and they create their own uh, issues <clears throat> that they want to uh, talk about and eventually vote on. Uh, but I will say that one of the main ones is, of course, uh, raising or lowering the stability fee. Which is basically like the interest rate? The, yes, the interest yeah. rate of the, um, the die loans. And that it went through many iterations. First, everything was uh, called an executive vote. So uh, people would vote directly with their MKR on whether a smart contract would, we call it casting a spell, whether it would... Uh, actually raise it or not but then uh, we realized not a lot of people voted on that so we created something called signaling uh, votes which are much lighter they just uh, they still uh, require an on-chain transaction but they're much lighter and they don't require you to move your MKR from accounts so that it started gaining a lot of traction and then people got a little bored with it because nobody wants to vote once a week and this is something that at least I personally want to see fixed by the community itself. I would like for them to... There's a lot of great communities that talk about decentralized finance, talk about Maker, talk about other projects. And they should get together and via smart contracts delegate some of their voting power to elected members. Um, we can learn something from traditional politics or uh, whatever you want to call it. But the good thing is, since this is on-chain, you can as easily give power than take, take it away. So you could say, uh, let me call out a name, for example, Ryan Sean Adams. Uh, he uh, talks about DeFi a lot. He has a great community uh, with his newsletter. So maybe that community can delegate voting power to him and he can vote on behalf of them. And then if somebody doesn't like uh, what he's voting on, they can remove it. Uh, so as you can see, it's, uh, it's, it's very similar. It starts like uh, signaling via forum, then signaling on the blockchain, and then finally voting uh, with the tokens on the blockchain as well. 
And then how would that work technically if you delegate? Because presumably you wouldn't want to give all your tokens to Ryan Sean Adams. Like No, of course. Uh, there are several ways to do it. And the simplest one would be just a smart contract that um, it receives tokens and uh, people vote on one account. And all that account can do is... Um, with that balance, it can vote on this or that uh, spell, as we call them, but they wouldn't be able to extract any money, just uh, any of the MKR. Just the person who put that in, they will be able to take it out. In fact, it's, I'm thinking about it, it's probably a 40-line smart contract. It's just, I would like people to do it. So does that literally not exist? Because it does sound like it would be so easy to do, and it sounds like it should already exist. It's very easy on the technical side, but it's not easy on the community and social side. Uh, oh, like getting people to actually exactly. use the smart contract? Okay. That, that's why I'm guessing that it's not there yet. Okay. All right. So in a moment, we're going to discuss more about how the governance works and also things like user experience, security, and some other issues. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Kraken. Kraken is the best exchange in the world for buying and selling digital assets. With all the recent exchange hacks and other troubles, you want to trade on an exchange you can trust. Kraken's focus on security is utterly amazing. Their liquidity is deep and their fee structure is great with no minimum or hidden fees. They even reward you for trading so you can make more trades for less. If you're a beginner, you will find an easy on-ramp from five fiat currencies. And if you're an advanced trader, you'll love their 5x margin and futures trading. To learn more, please go to Kraken.com. That's K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Crypto.com sees the future of cryptocurrency in every wallet. Have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card powered by crypto. Loaded with perks including up to 5% back on all your spending and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 8% per year on the most popular coins like BTC, ETH, XRP, and up to 12% per year on stablecoins like PAX or TUSD. Just a few tasks before you start receiving interest every week. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the privacy-enhanced compliance initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Back to my conversation with Mariano and Peter. And then so actually just before we kind of move on a little bit more into the governance, I, I just want to make sure. So how do you guys fund both of these DAOs? Like, so I'm sorry, you said that there's a minimum of 10 Ether for MetaCartel, but what about MakerDAO? Um, oh, it's Well, Maker, MakerDAO, uh, it sold uh, MKR tokens way back 
during the day. Uh, this was even before my time. So, so like Polly Chain and Andreessen, and yeah, but even before that, to people um, on a on a forum, whoever wanted to uh, like read the white paper and wanted to participate, uh, that was the initial. People say Maker never actually did an ICO, and I think that's true because not even the term existed. Oh, right. I think Rune said on my show he gave it to like just community members who were really dedicated to... Exactly. And initially, and again, this was before my time, um, just somebody would come in and design a logo, for example, and they would get MKR. Or they would do something for the community and they would get MKR. And then it was just after the fact, uh, a lot of people hired themselves just from community work. And then they started uh, working more and more. Uh, for the project, so that was initially, and then of course, uh, yeah, selling it to um, to investors, and that was pretty much the way it was funded. And right now, MKR token holders basically just get kind of rewarded for their work, literally by the value of the tokens going up. Is that it? Um, so MKR holders, when the debt is paid for the CDPs, they in this in the Current version, single collateral die, the that stability fee, that debt is paid in MKR, and that MKR is then burned. So that is one advantage of uh, holding MKR. In in multi collateral die, it works a little bit different. When somebody pays back their debt, they pay it in die, and then that die is accumulated, and an auction is created, um, and that die is used to buy MKR in the open market and then burn it as well. Okay, but like you're not actually being paid. It's simply that the value of the tokens that you have goes up. Yeah. And you were saying that for MetaCartel, you're kind of trying to figure out revenue. Right. Yeah. So right now, like, you know, all the members of MetaCartel Jiao who have pledged, right, uh, have really pledged out of goodwill and the, the want to see a lot of the work that we're funding happen, right? Um, but the truth is there's no real incentive, if you think about it, aside from, like, the belief that we're going to do something great. And, you know, Medicartel right now is at at a point where we either, like, go beg for more money, right? Or we actually try to, like, actually take out, basically take charge of our destiny, right? And actually try to be sustainable and create incentive for people to actually, you know, uh, be part of the DAO and also fund the work that we want to get to see done, right? Um, so... Very soon, uh, you know, in about a month's time, right, we're going to be deploying uh, a new DAO, right? Uh, we haven't caught anything, but we're working with Open Law, right, to uh, deploy a legal DAO, allow, if you will, right? Oh, wow. Um, that is actually a registered entity, which we actually, a Delaware Series LLC, right, which actually uh, we got a confirmation back a couple of days ago. And that will actually serve as, a, uh, I guess, you know, the representation of this DAO, right? And it will be able to actually uh, legally now generate revenue and take in funds, right? Uh, pledges from accredited and non-accredited investors, right? Um, as opposed to right now, you know, it's just we don't have a legal entity well, operating fairly in the gray zone, even though we're... So we haven't really been able to... We haven't really been able to capture any value because it'd be illegal and it'd be technically classified as securities, right? But now with this uh, next, I guess, like stage, right? Uh, we're looking to create a second DAO, right? That will enable this possibility to occur and, uh, I guess, incentive, right? Um, for the community to be uh, part of it. 
That's super interesting because, yeah, I was going to ask you guys about this open law, DAO, and, and Laos in general. But so, yeah, I have like a gazillion questions for you. But before we get into kind of some of these other topics, I just want to talk about the DAO itself because like, I think to me, I'm a little bit like, oh, I, I like if I were to sort of judge where DAOs are right now, I would sort of say they're maybe where stable coins were like 18 months to two years ago. Um, but like, that's kind of amazing because obviously three years ago was the DAO. Um, so I just wanted to know from your perspective, like, what do you guys feel were like the main lessons from the DAO or like what, you know, what do you think people in general think about what happened with the DAO? I would say that people are kind of, I don't want to say forgetting about it, but they're moving past it. It's, uh, we're out of phase. I, I participated in the DAO. I, and I remember it. I I wasn't that big into. I was a holder, but that was it. I didn't know too much about the ecosystem as a whole. I thought it was fine that uh, the hard fork was created. I'm I'm okay with how history went, right? And the DAO wise, I I think it if it hadn't had happened, then DAOs would be much bigger right now. Uh, we're like picking up the pieces of what happened and getting past the trauma uh, of it and saying, hey, we can do, the idea was okay, but let's try and learn from it and, and do it a little bit differently. And, and what do you feel people have learned from it? Or like, how do you feel like the trend is different now because that happened? Um, it was just, the DAO was a product of its time. I don't see almost anything else getting that much money that quickly now. Uh, we're past that craze. So first... People know not to trust random smart contracts now. Uh, there is a lot Peter's of... Peter's laughing. <laughs> like, like laughing, laughing. No, because there is a lot of social stigma. Uh, if you either uh, don't have an audit now or you centralize certain things. And this reminds me that, and, I mean, through Moloch, he, uh, uh, he talked to this guy from Compound and asking him yep. uh, about the audits for... Do you for have an admin function? Do you have an admin function? No. Uh, no, and, and then he said, okay, uh, do, do you want us to uh, fund some kind of thing to uh, review the contracts? And then he's like, no, 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 we do have a, an audit. I'll show it to you. And that created a whole uh, the feedback loop. So, so I don't think anybody would be able to create something like the DAO right now. There's, there's just... We know better. Um, but other than that, the ideas are not that different. We're, we're exploring something new. And with the, the profit-sharing capabilities of, of maybe new DAOs wrapped up under some kind of legal... What do you call it? Um, I guess a allow. Allow. A, yeah. a DAO wrapped in allow. Yeah. Uh, well, so actually, let's talk about Laos now. Um, I, I had that question for later, but like, this is an interesting uh, topic. So actually, before we get there, I just wanted to know, like, when do you think something should be governed by a DAO versus like, when should it be governed by like a traditional corporation or like a conventional nonprofit or like any other kind of legacy structure? And I guess in your case, you're like doing both. So I guess like so. I think the interesting about thing about DAOs is that you know, first of all, I really don't like talking like using the word DAO for a lot of reasons. But the main reason is that you know, it, there's nothing too special about DAOs. It's, it's, we've had groups of people for a long time, 
right? Uh, and there's just been groups of people have been coordinating using different mediums, right? And different governance structures. And maybe now we just are able to coordinate with the same groups of people, but with, you know, uh, on-chain value, right? In a distributed manner, right? Um, I think that's a real difference. I, I, when, I, when I, I guess when we're talking about DAOs, right? It's really like uh, groups of people with distributed governance, right? And um, by that, you just mean like disparate people on the internet where like they can be anywhere. They don't have to be physically correct. Each other. That's kind of the interesting thing, actually, right? Um, technically, you can, you know, like, yes, it can be anyone and it can happen anywhere and very easily with and very so, low friction. So like, what if it were just like a Facebook group where, you know, there's like people in the group and yep. then they can just put a little, uh, put comments on a thread in Facebook and be like, you know, I vote this way or that way, then yep. is that a DAO? I guess a DAO, we're getting into the definitions, but, you know, like, I'd say my definition of a DAO is that, you know, groups of people coordinating value together, right? And in our case, in our context, on-chain value. Okay, okay, so that's where the blockchain aspect comes in. I would add that, yeah, groups of people coordinating, but bound by the rules of, in this case, uh, a smart contract. So bound by the code that is in in the blockchain. And, And to your point, it's like if you said, do we need DAOs for everything or, or not? It's, I would say if your project is called something DAO, then yeah, because you, um, you're signaling that, that you want to decentralize, mm. that you want people to make choices. But I, I don't uh, subscribe to the fact that everything, every single thing has to be decentralized. We're working off of a decentralized platform that is Ethereum. But then, if the rules are clear and the code is clear, uh, then I don't mind using something that somebody tells me, hey, I have the master key, if that is told to me up front, that I have the choice to use it or not to use it. If a project says that they're decentralized or they're striving for as much decentralization as they can possibly be or get, uh, then I do expect... Uh, a little bit more from them, but I'm not. I won't say no to. Maybe I won't use it, but I won't say this project just because it does have an owner or like a multisig behind. I will not use it if that is told to me up front. So it's more about transparency. Exactly. Yeah. So actually, I want to actually dive into this a little bit more because like this has come up in a serious way with MakerDAO, where you know there's been this like governance turmoil where. Um, so both the CTO, Andy Millenius, and then Ashley Shap, who I guess did like business development or whatever, they they left. And I guess a bunch of other people left also after um, MakerDAO CEO Rune Christensen kind of presented this choice between a red pill, which was about like making MakerDAO compliant with regulatory regimes um, and, you know, work with the existing financial system. And then the blue pill was basically like, if you don't agree, then, then like you got to go. Um, so like Andy wrote this very long document kind of detailing that whole history. And, you know, the way he tells it, it's like he really believes that Rune kind of commandeered the project instead of like allowing it to be this like group effort, this decentralized effort. So, you know, to my mind, it also just kind of made me wonder like, you know, so MakerDAO is this decentralized autonomous organization, and yet there's also the CEO. It's, it's literally his title. So, like, you know, how? Do, yeah, how do those things fit together? Uh, for a long time, 
we use the term MakerDAO interchangeably with the Maker Foundation. So I think it's good to to separate both. MakerDAO is the is the protocol, is the uh, the the layer on the blockchain, and the Maker Foundation is in charge of bootstrapping that, uh, getting it run it. Uh, autonomously with as many actors as possible and then uh, taking a step back. So one thing is the Maker Foundation and other thing is like the Maker DAO. And there's only so much that I can say that I will say that I always tell my, my friends, um, I'm 38, but I say crypto is high school. It feels like high school again with higher stakes. I don't, I don't want to minimize um, what happened, but I do agree that in order for us and as an Argentinian, I, I see this uh, a, a lot with finance. We we try to take away f- ourselves away from the system, and that is a bit more like cypherpunk, uh, pure uh, blockchain kind of thing. But then once you try to do s- things at scale, then you're going to find out, and every project is finding out that you do need to play by the books and uh, talk to regulators. And if you want to interface with the real world and uh, tokenize assets or securities into a project, you're going to have to uh, open yourself up for uh, the regular financial system and change it maybe from within. So I'd say like for Medicato, like we're, I feel like we're, we have a very pragmatic stance, right? Where we don't, we're not, we're not chasing this mirror image of like, or this like mirage of what we should be or, or what things could be. You know, from the very start, from the DAO, right? From the Metacultural DAO, we coordinated to collect funds to fund work that needs to be done, right? And this was the easiest way to do so. Uh, there was no red tape. We just launched a smart contract. Basically, went on asking people, and it was there and there, and we started coordinating, right? Similar to Moloch, we would have never existed with a traditional organization with th- this many uh, tiny sums of money, right? And continually, I guess, uh, continuing on, uh, we're looking to create incentives, and c- basically, uh, we want to serve more people in our community, right? Uh, we want to basically help more projects get funded, great projects that may be great, profitable, and sustainable businesses, right? So we kind of see this as like the next step that enables us, right, to create more value for the people that we are looking to help, right? We're not trying to be some random, like, you know, uh, DAO, right? This pure utopian DAO for the sake of it. No, we want to help real people and we want to leverage, right, DAOs and web-free technologies, right, to kind of like leverage and go as far as we can, right? Uh, rather than like, you know, you know, spend like a whole year designing, you know, incentive mechanisms. You know, we want to like move fast and like create as much, as much real value, right? So you're both taking like this pragmatic approach. Well, but one thing I wanted to know was like, so when it comes to something like the MakerDAO Foundation or the Maker Foundation, that kind of creates like a centralization point where like if the authorities decide to come after the Maker Foundation, then what? What happens to MakerDAO? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I'm an, on the engineering side, so I want to say I have no idea, but I I should maybe give my opinion. Um, the protocol, the protocol continues on the blockchain. It's like uh, that's unstoppable. I would say I don't know if we um, the idea is to try to open ourselves up and talk to uh, regulators and that's what we've been doing so I can't imagine a world where 
it would just be like okay shut it down and like cannot work on this anymore it's like everything that's already on the blockchain would probably continue that's kind of the ceiling that we to plank with right like uh, until we have DAOs and can coordinate like military forces, right, <laughs> to basically fight governments, right, um, it's like we're really playing under the, the car jurisdiction's like roof, right. And I'm guess, pretty sure yeah. no government would allow anyway a DAO that uh, funded some kind of militia. But anyway, I'm just I'm just <laughs> well, surmising. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, most governments operate through violence and ability to you know to operate in the physical, right? Yeah. Well, so why don't we now go... I, I know we keep saying we're going to talk about the Lao thing, but why don't we just do this right now, actually? Because this is really interesting to me. So um, you guys have described this, but I'll just define it a little bit more for the listener. So Open Law created this, like, basically a legal wrapper for a DAO, which essentially is just, like, a separate legal entity that could be responsible for certain things. Like, if there's, like, violations of law that occur with the DAO or... Yeah, in this case, like accepting funds from like accredited investors or whatever. So do you guys feel like this is like eventually the way that all of the DAOs will have to go, that they're going to have to have some kind of legal entity associated with them? I know that, and I'm switching from DAO to DAO, but in the case of Moloch, for example, the members did talk a lot about it. And I forget what the exact conclusion was. So some were in favor of, of of trying this out, of doing a, uh, like wrapping uh, the DAO with like a legal framework. Uh, others were against it. They say this is too early. We don't need it yet. We're working on a. I believe Moloch has around a million dollars budget, maybe one point two. Some members are anonymous. They said we're not there yet. And then others just just wanted to see, hey, this is a, a good experiment, and if somebody's gonna push it forward, then why why not let it be us? Um, but in the case of Moloch, uh, I believe it didn't reach any conclusion yet. And like, if there's some kind of disagreement, or or like, yeah, just something where um, I guess different parties cannot agree, is it literally just the rage quit function there, or is there some way that you know, you guys think that these DAOs should inter- intersect with real laws? So, interestingly, we had a very similar uh, conversation within uh, Medicartel DAO, right? Like, you know, we need to, we're in a position where we either, you know, as again, beg for money or become sustainable and generate revenue, right? And uh, deal with securities, essentially, right? And, you know, uh, Mariano's right. You know, there's a lot of trade-offs of uh, becoming, you know, compliant. A lot of trade-offs, uh, advantages, disadvantages of being, you know, completely, I guess, unregulated and in the dark, right? And we realized that, you know, we didn't know, I guess, like, yes, it's like we didn't know which one was the right move, right? But we needed to make one. And we realized that's when we realized we why not have uh, set up a second DAO rather than to make an irreversible decision, right, mm-hmm. with the first one. And you realize that why not? And there's no real reason we couldn't. We had a community, right, that could operate to um, and we decided, to, and you know, working with Open Law, we decided that was a very clear next step, right? That I think no one's really taken, and we want to see what happens, right? And go head first. Oh, this is really interesting. So it's like basically use allow in the limited instances when like you absolutely need allow, and then like for everything else, just like make it decentralized, something like that. Is that what you're? 
I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, that was uh, that that comes from a different conversation where we were like, let's set up just a uh, normal company, right, to deal with all the, you know, uh, I guess the matters that had to deal with the real world, right? But I guess like how we're st- looking to structure it is that you know this uh, revenue generating DAO will be focused on profits, right? Well, oh, the, uh, oh cartel, like the DAO, it yeah. would be like the original DAO, similar, yes, and the medical, but not like DAO. the original DAO. Let's hope, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. And the Metacarto DAO would be focused on, you know, pure ecosystem value on the application layer, similar to Moloch how, to similar to how Moloch focuses on pure value on the like, core development layer, right? Um, okay. And, you know, ideally we actually have this, you know, revenue, revenue generating DAO, right, that provides value back to the ecosystem as well, right? A percentage that goes back to Metacarto DAO and the Moloch, for example, right? Because while grant funding isn't everything and it can't be everything, they have their place in the ecosystem, right? Um, but yeah, I also wanted to ask about um, the votes in MakerDAO. Kind of, they don't seem super decentralized. Um, I noticed for some of the recent votes that, like, one of them, the top voter accounted for forty percent of one vote. There was another one where the top voter accounted for eighty-four percent of one vote. Um, and then also, these are just like really small numbers of voters. It's like twenty voters, thirty voters. So um, how decentralized is that, you know, if it's like really like one person can kind of sway things so much and like it's not even that many people? Yeah, that, that is a problem that we're trying to fix. And, and it's voter apathy, as I said. It's um, just the fact that those were, I believe, some of the later votes. If you look at initially, we had a lot more people voting and and they were happy to to do so and it was oh finally uh once everybody started voting with their mkr it's like okay the system is now working we're making decisions together and then next week it's like okay uh maybe we need to raise the stability fee a little bit more okay uh, i'll do another vote and then next week it's like, we need to have a new one and and then people just stop voting uh so now we only have uh, like you said, a, a number of um, of people voting with it. And one of the things also is that there are cer- certain institutions that have MKR and are not voting because they have their tokens under custody. Oh. And I know Coinbase, for example, is working. Um, they have the Coinbase custody where they're going to allow people with certain tokens to, for example, in the case of MKR, vote on governance. Uh, but until that is there, then we're, I think we're going to stay with somewhat lower voter turnout uh, until those kind of things are in places. Or we institute what I mentioned uh, earlier. The delegated. Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of uh, referred to rage quit a little bit uh, briefly. Oh, this is the function where basically if people kind of disagree with what's going on in Molagdao, they can literally just leave with their tokens. I've heard people saying that they, you know, view this as a really smart and important feature. Do you guys agree with that? And if so, like, why do you think it was uh, such a, a great idea to implement that? Yeah, Rage Quit was, and now talking in like the, the, the grand style uh, Moloch-like uh, things, it was one of the reasons that made me join with almost uh, no second thought thinking okay I, I can put my money uh towards initially Moloch DAO was going to fund ethereum 2.0 uh initiatives that was the 
that was their spiel. It was, and the first uh, grant actually was the the state of Ethereum 2.0 uh, by Kyoken that uh, I mean, and somebody else they requested. I said this is incredible. I, it was a really big amount of money for me, a hundred ETH. It's uh, significant, but just the idea that I could remove it if I wanted to. I think that also gave a lot of people uh, the chance to say, okay, yes, I'm going to do this. And in any case, I don't think anybody has rage quit, at least from Moloch yet. The closest we were was uh, probably the Yang Dao. But also, rage quit is very simple because it's the only way for grantees to receive their money. It's like uh, when Amin built that, initially he said, uh, I want the code to be as simple as possible because uh, it is not audited proper no no it had one audit yeah uh i'm I'm sorry yeah it did have an audit so um and a lot of eyes looking at the code but uh i don't think anybody expected it would get that amount of money so one of the things is that if i can take it out anytime yeah and i saw somebody else saying that they thought it was a really smart idea because otherwise you would get people that weren't aligned that would be stuck in an organization together and that you would end up with factions. But I guess now like people can go off and create their own. So yes, it's a great uh, escape hatch, which anyone can dip out under right at any time, really. Right. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, but the thing on uh, factions, uh, you know, like the, that's an interesting thing about like large social groups, you know, people, uh, the social asymmetry, right. Where people know each other, and they tend to know, know others, and this creates natural, you know, uh, I guess, clicks even within the large social community, right? Like, Moloch is like 80-something members, right? Uh, Medicatel's 40. As you get larger and larger, right, there's different factions, and politics comes into play quite heavily uh, at this stage, especially with, say, you know, Moloch, where it's transitioning into... Um, uh, from a single summoner uh, leadership structure to, you know, more of a collective uh, council structure, right? Um, we're going to see politics come into play a lot uh, more the, as the grounds become more even. Oh, wow. So, yeah, this goes back to how so much of, you know, the governance for both the Erdows really depends on, like, the phone calls and the Discord groups and whatever. So we're kind of running out of time, but uh, because you mentioned security and the audits and stuff, I definitely want to, you know... Uh, discuss this, you know, obviously we talked about the DAO where, you know, a third of the value of that contract was drained um, and that caused the hard fork in Ethereum and everything. Um, in MakerDAO this year alone, there were two vulnerabilities, one found in the live contract and then one in the upcoming multi-collateral die system that's going to be launched later. So yes. in general, like, you know, and I know you're head of this. So what do you guys do to mitigate the risks? And like, you know, how do you think about security in general for DAOs? Oh, um, we've, the the code from multi-collateral DAO has been almost at a code freeze for a long time now. Uh, I would say a few months. And the last vulnerability that you mentioned, uh, it was disclosed recently, but it was found like a month and a half ago. And it was found during the actual proper process of software development. It's um, you write code, you test it as much as you can, and then in this case, you have different audits running at the same time and also a bug bounty. In this case, with the bug bounty, uh, the hacker actually found the vulnerability through the bug bounty one day before uh, one of the auditors found it. Oh, wow. Um, so this is an incredibly talented uh, individual. 
they had found it one day later, then uh, it wouldn't have been too much news because uh, we would have patched it before and uh, the bounty would not have been. Um, and then a second audit also discovered the vulnerability as well. So in this case, I think because the article first mentioned that it was on the live system and then they had to retract, I think it got a lot more um, attention than maybe it should have because uh, it was really a part of the natural process of building software, it's like building it, testing it, uh, and then releasing, which we haven't done yet. And yeah, in the case of the um, the other vulnerability that you mentioned, that was uh, in one of the libraries that we use for governance. And yeah, that was uh, it. It could have been the collateral was always safe for individuals. So that wasn't uh, initially uh, a problem there, and but no, we were we were lucky that uh, it was found via Zeppelin during uh, audit for Coinbase custody. Well, wait, but so what was at risk? Because I thought it was actually the collateral that was at risk on the first version on the live yeah contract. Um, no, if I remember correctly, what you could do was freeze. Uh, people's MKR in the voting contract. So not not the ETH collateral for the DAI system, uh, the MKR uh, that was that's locked in the voting contract to uh, signal voting for governance. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, that... Okay. that Which could have is been, more like about power. Yeah, and than, okay. that could have been griefed, and luckily it wasn't. And it was a stressful weekend, but we uh, we upgraded the system and... And what about for the multi-collateral die? What was the amount of that bounty? Uh, I think we paid fifty thousand dollars. We okay. had we uh, in any bug bounty you establish different criteria, and then it's you go from like the highest to the lowest. And so in this case, we did manage to pay out one of the the highest that that we set out for. Okay. And so I wanted to also ask one other thing about the multi-collateral die launch, because it's going to depend on oracles, as far as I understand. So, Just like the current version, yes. Yeah, so, but, you know, now there's like a, a lot more oracles. So how do you select oracles and um, how do you, you know, ensure that they're trustworthy and can't be gamed to, you know, allow people to take advantage of the system? Well, we have the oracles V2 proposal that... It's also going to have to be voted in uh, via governance. But what we're going to do is we're moving away from the Oracle's V1 architecture that uh, was built around two and a half years ago. So Oracle's V2, they are a lot more, uh, they're a lot cheaper to run. They depend a lot on uh, off-chain message um, signing and uh, on-chain aggregation. And we are going to, have the community vote on additional uh, feed providers uh, to the oracles. We are still going to have a certain number uh, of those feed providers be uh, anonymous, or let's call it pseudonymous, because there are a couple of people who know who they are. Uh, but for safety, uh, their identity is not disclosed. But now we're going to have other projects become feed providers. And I think we announced this already. It was a Zero X Gnosis set uh, I'm going to forget one, sorry, but uh, Maker was one and maybe one more. And we're going to be adding more of those because these projects, they already use the Maker Oracle's version one. 
And um, so we're going to try to bring more and more projects in there. One of the criticisms that I get a lot is that why don't we use on-chain, purely on-chain sources? And I don't think we're there yet. Um, There's not liquidity on in like order books or uh, Uniswap can keep be game. I don't want to say game, but yeah, with not too much money, you can move the market. Uh, but I am always on the lookout. I'm talking to, I've talked to people from like TBTC to uh, Matt Longo. I've talked to uh, uh, Hart from UMA. Um, I, I don't remember who else, but uh, I know that uh, Hayden from Uniswap, they're building oracles into uh, Uniswap B2. Balancer.finance is going to come out with uh, some sort of price sensor, they call it. So we are getting there, but we're not quite there yet. So we're still going to do, we have a blog post about our oracle strategy. And I just want to say that in the current version uh, of DAI, uh, we use it for two or three things um, to, of course, check the if your collateral is safe, if your ratio is safe. Uh, in multi-collateral dive, we only use it for that. For like the, um, uh, We don't use it when we liquidate because it's auction-based, so we're trying to rely less and less on it. But we still have one point where, of course, we need to read from an oracle. Okay. All right, so we're really running out of time, but I do want to know before we uh, leave, what are you most excited about uh, what DAO is going forward? Like, what are you looking forward to either doing or seeing in the DAO space? I'm really excited about how DAOs, right? Which are really, if you think about it, instant native. Uh, I'm really excited about how they're bringing people into the physical world, actually. Um, because the Metacartel DAO has somehow, like, you know, incited and established this thing called MCON, where well, actually soon after DevCon, right, we're actually going to Denver in person to be uh, doing a short in-person sprint on how to launch Nextdale, right? And it's just funny that, you know, everyone, even though no one's being paid to do this, everyone thought it would, it would be a good idea to do so, <laughs> right? Uh, to travel from all these different countries and places to uh, kind of like meet in real life and work on this, right? Uh, and it's interesting because like, for example, there's several members of the DAO, right, which I've worked heavily in. They've worked quite a bit on the Metacardo DAO, right? And I haven't even met them in real life yet, oh, right? But you and, will. But I will, right? And it's strange to see, like, us being brought together into the physical from outside in, right, by this community that can coordinate value, time, and effort. Cool. And Mario? Uh, in my case, I... I just really on a social level, I I want to see what decentralized finance can do for emerging economies like Argentina and other countries. On a technical level, there's so much that I couldn't just say one thing. But social level, I, I really want us to uh, to tackle problems in countries like Argentina, Venezuela, and others. Yeah, I urge people to watch Mariano's talk from DevCon because it was great. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions about that, but I knew I had like way too many questions about DAO. So I was like, oh, I like need to lay off those questions. But um, I watched it and yeah, it was awesome. Thank so, you. Um, all right. Well, so where can people learn more about you and uh, MakerDAO slash SellerDAO and MetaCartel? So uh, MakerDAO, you can go to MakerDAO.com or chat.makerdao.com and um like me, Mariano, personally, I'm at uh, at Nanix School on Twitter, and you can follow me there to learn about my wacky experiments, like uh, 
like the Salad Dao and other stuff. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter uh, at uh, P E T Free R Pan underscore. Like, so I mean, you can also search uh, Medicato up, and you know, I'm always online everywhere. Great. All right. Well, thanks for coming on Unchained. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Mariano, Peter, MakerDAO, and MetaCartel, check out the show notes inside your podcast player. If you're not yet subscribed to my other podcast, Unconfirmed, which is shorter, a bit newsier, and now features a short news recap, be sure to check that out. Also, find out what I think are the top crypto stories each week by signing up for my email newsletter at unchainedpodcast.com. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.